0: Welcome one and all to Peace Presbyterian Church. My name is Pastor Andrew. I am the pastor here. I've been the pastor for about seven months or so. Uh, I see a lot of new faces on this Mother's Day, and I just want to issue a welcome to you all. Uh, we're glad that you're joining us. Uh, if you want to introduce yourself, we have this, we have this card here. Uh, it says, Welcome to Peace Presbyterian Church. Uh, we encourage you, if you want to introduce yourself, leave your contact info, feel free to... Yeah, feel free to hand it to me on your way out the door. Uh, I will buy you coffee if you want to, you know, get to know me, if you want to get to know the church a little bit. uh, Just feel free to fill that out and, uh, yeah, hand it to me on your way out. Happy Mother's Day to all of the grandmothers, all of the mothers, all of the mother figures in our life, and perhaps especially to the children who forgot that today was Mother's Day until you came to church and heard everyone talking about it and you realize that you needed to stop at Kroger to buy a bouquet of flowers on your way, of home. On your way home. I hope that's none of you, but uh, happy Mother's Day to one and all. We are uh, finishing up really a series uh, on the book of Ephesians. We've been going through it the entire spring. Ephesians has been a long slog. It's got six chapters, but we've taken probably 14 or 15 weeks to go through it, and today we finish the bulk of it. We're gonna talk about maybe a little bit sensitive of a topic this morning. We're gonna talk about spiritual warfare. I know maybe not the most Mother's Day topic out there, but it was the one that was next, so we're gonna go through it. Spiritual warfare. We can make two mistakes as a church when we talk about spiritual warfare. On the one hand, we, especially in this church as Presbyterians, right, as Presbyterians, we like to be buttoned down, be very serious. We don't like to talk about spiritual things. One mistake we can make is to ignore things of the Spirit. We don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit and His work in our church. Things of the demonic, we, we get really uncomfortable around. So we, we just kind of ignore it and pretend that it doesn't exist. On the other hand, Christians can make another mistake which is to overemphasize the things of the spirit, right? We see demons around every corner and at work in everything. think even though the, even though the spiritual realm is real, that might be going a little bit too far. So we, we tend to be on one side or the other. I want to present to you from the Word of God perhaps a middle way. I want to talk about a spiritual warfare that is real. A spiritual warfare that actually affects our lives on a day-to-day basis. But that we as a church can combat together. But first, as always, we have to go back through the book of Ephesians and see where we've been. See, Paul in the book of Ephesians uses a lot of different pictures of the church. He uses the picture of a temple. He says that we are a temple that's being built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We are the place in which God comes down to dwell that is a holy place separate from the rest of the culture. He uses another illustration. We are a body of believers, right? We are supposed to grow up from infancy, from being children. To taking on the maturity of Christ. We are, as children grow up into adulthood, we as a body are supposed to grow up. One illustration that Paul has used so far, but we haven't emphasized a lot in this sermon series, is that of spiritual warfare. But Paul, throughout the book of Ephesians, talks about spiritual warfare over and over and over. In Ephesians chapter 1 we learn that Christ in his resurrection and exaltation is elevated over all other powers. This is something that we tend to we tend to miss. We tend to ignore it a little bit. But these are the words of God from Ephesians chapter 1. This power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead, right? We talk about that a lot and we should. Raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above what Every rule, every authority, every power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. What's he talking about? The passage of scripture that my mind always goes to is that one in Philippians chapter two, when it talks about how Christ is exalted above all, and every knee on that final day will bow to him. Things in heaven, things on the earth and things under the earth. And every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. On that day, everyone will recognize that Christ is the king over all. Whether it's just human beings, we will all be there on that day bowing our knees to God. Whether it's spiritual powers that were created by God at the beginning of the universe and then they rebelled against God. Whether angels, whether demons, whether people, whether creatures, every knee will bow. And Christ, when he's raised from the dead, when he's set on high above all, every ruler, every authority, every one of those principalities, whether they're dark powers, whether they're forces of good, whether they're human rulers, like Julius Caesar or Donald Trump, Every single one of us will bow to the true king who is Jesus Christ. At the end of all things, Christ will take all of the evil that we experience in this world. He will subject it and he will be, he will be lifted on high as ruler over all of it. Evil will be defeated on that day. But evil is not defeated yet. Going on to Ephesians chapter 2 we see that there are spiritual powers still at work in our world today. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We talked about this a little bit when we, when we preached on Ephesians 2, but it's worth revisiting again. What on earth is the kingdom of the air. Do you guys ever think about that? The kingdom of the air. What, what is it? What's going on? The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience. Without going into the full history of what that's talking about, the air there means our culture. There are spiritual powers at work in our culture to subvert understandings of what is good, righteous, holy, and true. So that if we just grow up in our culture, we will learn to believe lies. Perhaps maybe one of the best examples of that is the sexual revolution back in the 60s. Right? We, we know, if we just look at how human behavior works, life just goes better for you If sex is limited to marriage between a man and a woman, life works better that way. And we know that empirically, right? We can look at families and we can look at people who have maybe rejected that model and gone their own own way. And we see that people who follow the biblical model just have better lives. They make more money. They're happier. That's just a fact, But that hasn't stopped the forces of darkness from working in our culture to tell us lies that the only way that you're going to be happy is to reject God's model for marriage and for things of that nature and to embrace just your own personal pleasure. That's a lie that we believe. It's ingrained in us. You turn on your TV, TV will tell you that lie. They might show you how how glorified that culture is, right? You turn on a TV show, like any sitcom on CBS, they'll show you how great it is to live for your own pleasure, but they don't show you the heartbreak and the emotional detachment that goes along with it. The reason the culture believes those things is because there are spiritual powers at work in all of us to lie to us. And we, as the people of God... We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but we are a people from the future. Jesus Christ is creating a new creation from a different culture, different moral standards. We are supposed to embody those standards, not the standards of the culture. And Ephesians 2 talks about how we were once sinners who were rebelling against God. We believed, we were under the influence of these powers of the air, but no longer because we've been saved, not by anything that we have done, not by any works of righteousness that we can do, but by God's mercy and by God's grace. He lifted us out of our sins. He lifted us out of our unbelief and he put us on the path to righteousness. It is his work because he's in the process of making all things new. He's in the process of ridding this world of evil even though we're not there yet. He's bringing the future into the present and that's the reality that we in this church live in. Ephesians chapter four. These powers are at work to deceive the church. Paul writes these words, so we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves, and carried about by every wind of teaching by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes." That word for deceitful schemes, the Greek word under there, it, it sounds a lot like the word methods, methodia. But that word shows up again in Ephesians chapter 6, and it talks about, that's one of the ways in which Satan tries to attack the church, through cunning lies, through deceitful schemes. And the way in which he does that is to go against the building up and the unifying of the church, right? Because we believe that one day, Christ is gonna fix all things, he's gonna make all things, and he's bringing that future reality into the present. And God is at work among us, right? That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit builds us up as a people so that we no longer exhibit the culture of the world around us, but we exhibit the culture of the world that is to come. So we don't we don't lie to each other we don't abuse each other we don't get angry at each other we don't assume the worst of each other instead of doing that we love our neighbor as ourselves Whenever we are kind to someone, whenever we do something right for someone else, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's your fellow church member, you are choosing to reject the culture around you, to reject the lies that say that you are the most important thing in the world and you should do whatever feels right and feels good. You're rejecting that lie and you're embracing the reality that is to come. The Spirit's at work among us to build us up as a people who embody that reality but the forces of darkness are at work to deceive us, to continue to lie to us, to continue to break us apart. This is a battle that goes on. We know that this is a battle that will be won. Christ will have authority and dominion and he will be victorious over all of the forces of evil, over all of these powers. Even though, however, the death blow has been struck, right? Colossians 2 talks about how Christ has defeated the powers and authorities by nailing them to the cross. They are defeated. The death blow has been struck, but they are not wiped out yet. Christ has one territory, but we have to hold on to that territory. Though the battle will certainly be won, Satan and his forces are at work to divide and confuse us. That's the war. That's a very quick overview of a lot of stuff in the book of Ephesians that maybe you're not very familiar with. But let's move on to the battle anyway. The battle, the spiritual battle that we face, is real. What I'm talking about this morning, when we talk about spiritual warfare, that's not a metaphor of us trying to become better people. That's not just a, a way of talking about how we as a church are supposed to kind of grow, and get more mature. No, there are actual spiritual forces out there who are out to divide us, confuse us, and mislead us. The battle is real, but the battle is also ordinary right? We don't want to be people on the one side who, who you know, we're like the Presbyterian straight-laced people who ignore the things of the spirit, right? We don't want to go all the way over there and pretend that the battle isn't real. We also don't want to go on the other side and pretend that all of life is like an episode of Supernatural or a Frank Peretti novel where there are demons around every corner, maybe an episode of Ghostbusters, right, where you've got like a vacuum cleaner, like sucking up all these ghosts. That, that's not what I'm talking about here, when we engage spiritual warfare, it's not as though we're supposed to be doing exorcisms all the time or anything like that. that that's, that's not what I'm talking about. The weapons that we are given here in Ephesians 6 are ordinary, right? Paul here doesn't say, you know, stand firm in the power of God and cast out all these demons and, you know, have... No, that, that's not what he's talking about. The weapons that we are given are, are ordinary weapons like faith and righteousness, and salvation, and the gospel. So could it be that the way in which we are supposed to fight against these spiritual powers is just to do all of the things that Paul's been talking about that the church should be doing, right? We should come and we should just build each other up in our faith. We should encourage each other in Christian maturity. Maybe, I believe this is true, spiritual warfare This looks a whole lot like coming to church, having our faith encouraged, learning more and more about the gospel, who Jesus is, and what Jesus has done for us. See, the battle is real, but the battle is also ordinary. Finally, as we move into looking at the actual weapons, we see that this battle is defensive. Defensive. The battle's real the battle's ordinary the battle is defensive right we are fighting a war that has already been won Christ has won the victory and he will he will finally come back and win that victory on the last day right the death blow has been dealt but Christ is coming back to fix everything so we are standing on territory that's already been won by christ right we as a people of god we are already an embassy of the future of the new kingdom that's coming we are already a pocket of the new creation in this wicked culture we're already this is This is the new creation come into this place. And we as a people are supposed to embody those new creation values. So this is territory that's already been won, but Satan wants it back. Satan would love nothing more than to divide us, confuse us, have us believe the lies, and be characterized by the things that are out there. So we are supposed to hold fast. We are given defensive weapons, shields shoes helmets so we are supposed to buckle down hold on to our ground because the devil is coming for us look at the weapons we are given we are given a belt of truth now just one of the things that i should point out here all of these all of these weapons that are described are actual parts of armor that you know ancient Ephesians would have been familiar with, right? They would have known Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers would have had all of these things. The word there, we're actually gonna sing it in the song after this, Um, the word there's panoply, right? It talks about all of the armor that people put on. So they're given a belt of truth because they didn't have pants that they wore back in those days, they didn't, the guys didn't wear pants, they wore like robes. So when they were gonna fight, they had to like pull up their robes and like kinda tie it around. So when they ran, it didn't get caught up. It's the belt of truth. This belt isn't a physical belt, but it's the belt that we, know, that we can know truth. The world will tell us lies. The world will tell us that we can't know what truth is. The world will tell you that your happiness is the most important thing. The world will tell you that maybe loving your neighbor isn't all that important. Those are lies. We have the truth. What did Jesus pray? He said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We know the truth. We have access to the truth. Don't believe the lies of the devil. And there's the breastplate of righteousness. You guys know what the word Satan means? Anybody in here? Go ahead, shout it out if you know the word The word Satan and the word devil means accuser, right? The idea is it's almost like a prosecutor, right? When you go to court and there's there's a guy that tells the judge all the things that you did wrong, it's, it's that guy, the guy who says, you did all of these bad things, so you deserve this. That is who Satan is. That's what his name literally means. Satan will tell you That because you are sinful, you have to keep earning God's favor, right? And there's a root of truth to that because we know that none of us are righteous in and of ourselves, right? We can't earn God's favor. But we have the breastplate of righteousness. God has given us his righteousness. Jesus lived a perfect life so that we can have eternal life. We should wear that righteousness as a breastplate. Right, a big piece of armor that just covers the front of us. Satan will lie to you. He will tell you that you need to keep doing things in order to please God. He will lie to you and tell you that maybe what you've done isn't quite good enough and you've got to keep adding to it, but it's a lie. It's not true. Wear the breastplate of righteousness. Don't believe the lies of Satan. We have feet that are clothed with the readiness of the gospel of peace. So when I, when I play soccer, I enjoy playing soccer, I know we have some football players in the back, but when you're, whenever you're playing on grass, you don't wanna wear tennis shoes, right? That'll go poorly for you. Because whenever you try to move, whenever you try to plant, your feet are just gonna go under, out from underneath you and you're gonna slip. You need to wear cleats. You need to wear shoes with little spikes in the bottom because if you don't, your feet are gonna slip on the mud, they're gonna slip on the dirt, you're not going to have sure footing. If you're a Roman soldier in this day, and you're putting on all of your armor, you need good shoes, because if you're trying to fight, right, if you're trying to wield a sword and, you know, dodge attacks from other people, you need shoes that aren't going to slip. You need your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. So we as Christians know the gospel. That Christ, in his death and in his resurrection, will save us and will save this world. That gospel should bring us peace. That even though Satan may attack us, even as we're trying to stand our ground, trying to be pushed back, our feet won't slip because we know the gospel of peace. It gives us firmness, sure footing. Christ gives us faith, the shield of faith. You know, back when I was a little kid, uh, this was one of those passages that I had to memorize, right, like in VBS or whatever. And whenever I memorized it, like it talks about how there's the flaming darts of the wicked one, right? And I, I always imagined, and maybe you did too, right? You know, like Satan's associated with hell, and maybe they're just flaming darts because he's from hell, right? Is that, is that kind of the picture that's going on? And I didn't know what darts were. I just thought like he was like throwing them at a board. But what it is, is they were arrows, right? Just like a bow and arrow. And back in that day, one of the things that they would do is wrap the arrows in, in some sort of string or straw, maybe dip it in tar and light it on fire. And they would shoot those arrows at a group of soldiers. That's where it talks about the flaming darts of the wicked. And what they, what they would do in order to defend themselves from those flaming arrows is one soldier, he wouldn't stand by himself, but he would have a guy next to him, and a guy on the other side of him, in that front line, they would have their shield all locked together, and the second row of soldiers, they would have their shield kind of above the people, and the third row of soldiers all the way back, would have a, their shields above their head like this to kind of create a roof, so that as the enemy is advancing, as the enemy is shooting as many arrows as they can, to try to try to kill as many people as they can on their way up to battle, they would have their shields, and they would wet the shields down with water so that they wouldn't catch fire so that all they had to do was knock the arrows off and they wouldn't do any damage so as satan shoots his flaming arrows at us as he attacks us we have a shield of faith right we look to the future we know what god will do and our hope is certain in what god will do we have faith faith isn't just spirituality sometimes we talk like it is Oh, he's a man of faith, which maybe means he believes in God or something like that, right? That's not what faith is. Faith is looking at an object and trusting and believing that that object will save you. We have faith, or we ought to have faith, in Christ and what he has done. We look to the cross. We look to his resurrection. We see how he has triumphed over death and sin and the forces of evil, and we look to the future because of that, and we have faith that God and Christ will take over all of the evil things in ourselves, our own sin, the evil things in the world around us, and he will remove them. Every one of those principalities and powers, those forces of darkness, will serve Christ. We look to the future. That's where our faith is placed. That faith can extinguish the lies of the devil. We have our helmet of salvation. We know that God will win the day. On that last day, right? When, it, when the Old Testament, when, when the psalmist would write psalms, they would look forward to God's salvation. And yes, that talks about personal salvation, but there's also a very real physical aspect to it, right? David would complain about all of the enemies around him, and he would look forward to God's salvation. Right? He's talking about military victory. He prayed that God would give him military victory. In our fight against evil, we know that God will give us victory. We have the helmet of salvation. We have the sword of the spirit. This is interestingly, a lot of people have pointed this out and you may have heard this. This may be what comes to your mind when you hear this verse. But this is the only offensive weapon in in the whole gamut, right? There's, There's a shield, there's a breastplate, there's a helmet, all of those are defensive weapons. You can't do anything with those. But on all the other, on all the other uh, elements of this armor, right? So like the breastplate of righteousness, it's sort of like a breastplate that's made out of righteousness. With the helmet of salvation, it's kind of like a helmet that's made out of salvation. With the sword of the Spirit, I don't think it's talking about a sword that's made out of the Spirit because it tells us what the sword is. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. This is a sword that, yes, we hold, But we're not the ones responsible for wielding it or striking any death blows, right? That's the Spirit. It's the Spirit's sword. The Spirit is at work in this world today, right, to build up us as a body of believers and to tell us the truth by the Word of God. If you've read the book of Revelation at the end, it talks about how Christ will come in the clouds on that last day. And the picture there, because Revelation is a book filled with pictures, the picture there is Christ coming back, sitting on a horse, with all of the forces of evil and darkness laid out in front of him, and they will attempt to make war on him. Let's just read what it says. Revelation 19. He, this is Christ, is dressed in clothing dipped in blood, and he is called the Word of God. The armies that are in heaven dressed in white, clean, fine linen were following him on white horses. Hear this. It's a little weird. Hear it. From his mouth extends a sharp sword so that with it he can strike the nations. Right? So in this picture that's being painted, Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth. Now do I think that that means that you know, on the final day Jesus is going like, to be swinging his head around with like a sword coming out of it to try to attack people? No, no, that's ridiculous. The picture is that he speaks a word, a word of judgment, a word of truth, and all of the forces of evil that are arrayed against him are immediately vanquished. He speaks a word of truth, the sword of the Spirit, and immediately wins the victory. We are given that sword today. The final weapon he gives us isn't really a weapon at all, right? All, All of the other ones are part of that panoply, right? The full armor of God. But the last one that he gives us doesn't have any kind of armor or any kind of weapon attached to us. He gives us the weapon of prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people pray also for me that whenever i speak words may be given to me so that i will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador in chains it's the word prayers and petitions in some translations it's prayers and supplications now i know we have some visitors today and i welcome you but i want to speak a word maybe to our congregation um I've had a lot of conversations with the people in this congregation. And one thing I've realized that we're good at is petition prayers, supplications, right? Asking God for things, right? When we pray, we say, God, will you please be with this person because they have this health issue? God, be with this person because maybe they're wandering from the faith. And we have have our list of prayers, list of petitions, lists of supplications for God. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. Paul encourages this church. He says, pray for me. Pray that I can have this, this, and this. But when we talk about the word prayer, that's not all prayer is. Prayer is fellowship with God. Paul says something really curious here, right? He says, pray without ceasing. He says that other places too, but he says, don't stop praying. And the, the picture there isn't that we should always be walking around, God be with this person, I pray that you would do this thing, I pray that you would do this No, that's That's never going to work, right? You can't keep your eyes closed that whole time. You're going to, like, crash your car into something. That doesn't work. When Paul talks about prayer without ceasing, he means that we should constantly be in fellowship with God. It's okay to just, as the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So as we seek as a people to become more full of faith to have more trust in the salvation that's coming to have our feet right made sure by the gospel as we commune with god as we just sit in fellowship with him we become more and more like him i am um, as as many of you know i am a dual citizen i am an american and I'm Canadian. So I have, my dad's family is, is in Canada. They all live over there. Um, Coburg, Ontario, if you've ever heard of it. It's east of Toronto a little bit. Whenever I go visit them, if you didn't know this about Canadians, they have an accent. They don't, they don't talk like we do in Michigan. They think we have an accent, but they're wrong. They have an accent. We don't have an accent, right? Whenever I go visit my Canadian relatives, I always come back with a little bit of an accent. Right? Maybe you've experienced this if you've gone to the East Coast, if you've gone to Boston, if you've gone to the South, if you've gone somewhere else. You always come back with a little bit of an accent. Just because when you spend time with people, you hear them talk. The way they talk, it affects you. You start to talk like them. As we spend time with God, His character, who He is, will in sometimes subtle ways sometimes subconscious ways. It will affect and change who we are. We will be a people who become more and more like the new kingdom that is to come than the culture that's around us. Because that's what Ephesians is about, is being a people who participate in Christ's victory over all evil. Right? We are supposed to be a pocket of the new creation. And as we participate in fellowship with God, as we pray we'll become more and more like him. And if we are people of prayer, all the darts that Satan throws at us, all of the lies he tries to tell us, that we need to keep working in order to earn God's favor, that we should really, you know, be more important than the other people around us. We should really grasp a hold of our rights instead of laying them aside. Whatever, whatever lie Satan is trying to use to tear this body apart... The more time we spend in prayer, the more time we're spending putting those pieces of armor on. As we seek to participate in this fight, may God give us the grace to resist the works of the devil. And may he come back and bring us that final victory. Pray with me.